So welcome everyone to another Early Learning Matters podcast podcast series. This is a second podcast focusing on the AEDC. My name is Mary Taiwo and I'm AEDC New South Wales State Coordinator. I manage the AEDC project within the New South Wales Department of Education. I'm Jackie Wall, the Early Learning Coordinator, also from the department, and we are continuing our conversation with Tess Gregory and Yasmin Harmon-Smith from Telethon Kids Institute. Today, we're going to continue talking about the AEDC and how various stakeholders can engage with the AEDC. We will also highlight the value of the AEDC to different stakeholders, how you might want to engage how you might want to engage or analyze the AEDC and also at different levels at which you can engage with the AEDC data, either at the school or community level. In the first podcast, we discussed the school and community reports. So can you tell us a bit more about what are the key differences when you are engaging with the different levels of data? So at the, at the school level, you're really thinking about just the cohort of children that come to your school. And if you think about you know, the ways families select schools in a community and where they choose to send their children, you may very well see differences within your school than you might see in a neighbouring school. So the community data as a whole can tell you more about overall the context of the community. And like, let's say, for instance, you're a school with terrific resources, but the schools down the road don't have such great resources. Like you might have an excellent disability support program, for instance, but maybe your school is not as accessible for children with disabilities as some of the neighbouring schools because families feel more shame for coming to, you know, your school or um, maybe they feel that your school um, doesn't have as good a reputation. And so really understanding, like, who is coming from the community to our school versus the other schools? How do we partner with the schools in our community so that we're actually all supporting families together, regardless of where families choose to enrol their children, how are we sharing resources and knowledge and, you know, opportunities for training. So, for instance, um, a school might have done a lot of work to support their staff um, to develop an understanding of trauma-informed practice, um, but in a community with high levels of transience or, um, you know, as where parents might have a sense of, um, I'm going to say standoffishness about engaging with schools because of their own poor experiences in the past. You might find those children changing schools quite frequently if they have behaviour problems because the parents just don't want to deal with the school around it and so they shift their kids. Um, so what that means is like if their child might have been in a school where they've got great support and then they go to a neighbouring school and they don't have any support. And so really being able to kind of create those local networks that support families with whatever the contextual issues are um, so, sorry, coming back to your question, Mary, about what does what these different data profiles provide to schools, I would say, you know, a mix of looking at all of those data sources and really thinking about where the commonalities are, where the differences are, um, and what you're seeing can help you inform your local planning within your own school, but then help you connect into the community around you to ensure that all kids in that local area are supported irrespective of where their families end up enrolling them. Um, I'll just add in terms of kind of specifics of what is included in those different reports. So the school reports is about the cohort of kids that attend your school and those school reports um, go to the schools, but they're private. They're not available to anyone else to have a look at. Whereas if you go to the ADC website, you can access a community profile 
which provides information about all the children who live in that particular community. And when we talk about a community for the ADC, it's generally a local government area, so it's quite a big area. And those reports um, in, in general are, are based at that local government area, but then also in the back of those reports, we, you can have a look at the results for smaller geographies. So we have what we call ADC local communities, which are generally suburbs. So you can also have a look at um, the develop, development for kids in different suburbs within that local government area. Ah, that's interesting. I, I guess it uh, provides lots of information and you can break it down to exactly where your service is. And as Yasmin said earlier on, you can also explore um, what area are the kids coming from and what are the differences and is that reflected in your school report. Um, but I wanted us to talk a little bit more about, we've talked a lot about schools and how schools can engage with the data, maybe a little bit more about early childhood services. I know um, from some of the recent conversations <laughs> I've had is sometimes early childhood services kind of struggle to they struggle to understand the value of the data for them because it's captured at school already and they're thinking, okay, the kids have gone through, but then we know the school receives the data and now I can look at the community data. How is it valuable? Probably I kind of just to unpack that a little bit more for the services, um, both in policy and practice, how can they engage with the data? So I've seen really good examples of early um, childhood services using the data as well. and. Um, in a way, it's almost like they have a greater opportunity to influence what the data is because it's their core business, right? It's those early years of before children start school. So um, it's not a report, I guess, of how well they have done as a service because there's lots of factors that influence children's early development. But in the same way that it can inform schools about what's happening in the community, that's just as relevant for those early childhood services and thinking about how can we best support the children in our community through our programs and service provision, which, you know, early childhood services are such a great equaliser. They really give an opportunity for children to be exposed to rich early learning environments, to, um, you know, responsive caregiving, uh, language-rich interactions, all of those things that are really terrific for children's development. And when families are struggling at home, it you know, not only does it give the families a bit of a break and an opportunity for parents to have some time for themselves to, you know, fill their own cup and cope more with the challenges of um, raising young kids. And let me tell you, I know about those. Um, you, you get an opportunity for those children to have a set of experiences that are really targeted at the things that are important for child development. So it's the interacting with other children it's the um you know learning about social norms like waiting and taking a turn and um being able to sit and eat with people and you know being able to focus on a story and learn from that oral language exposure um it you know, sparks creativity it sparks imagination in play like there's all kinds of terrific things that happen in those early learning settings so when you're thinking about like what program do we put in place or what do we focus on in our early years setting or what are the aspects of quality that are really important for us to get right this year or you know at the moment um, and how can we be responsive to community that community data gives you the pointers of where to look and ask those questions and it gives you the starting point for conversations with families about what's important for them and what aspects of their children's development um, they 
would like the centres to focus on. So, you know, it, it might be important for us to develop literacy and numeracy, um, or it might be important for us to develop creativity, but for families, it might be the opposite. So, you know, it's thinking about how you have those shared conversations about the development of kids in the community and how you use that data and the information that you gather from the collaborative conversations you have around it to shape what you do in your programs and how you have the greatest impact for kids. I think it really also is very important for early childhood services to consider um, the data in relation to transition practices and programs. And also, you know, if we think about our current circumstances, you know, how to how do early childhood services consider the data in relation to, you know, the impacts of COVID or, you know, the increasing levels of mental health issues, you know, in younger children, younger and younger all the time, you know, as young as three, you know, children can experience some anxiety and all sorts of things. So I think it's, you know, like it's a, it's really useful data, I guess, for, for service to be thinking a bigger picture um, of what's happening in their space rather than the sort of day-to-day, -day, I guess. Absolutely agree. And that's probably the place where that nexus happens with the school as well, thinking about the transition programs. And I've seen examples where schools, um, through starting that conversation with their early childhood partners or vice versa, the early childhood partners starting conversations with schools, they've really worked together to re-examine their transition processes and how they support continuity of learning, you know, so that the kids aren't in a, one service for a few years before school where they have a particular type of experience and all of a sudden their world changes dramatically between December and January. <laughs> Um, and they have an entirely different set of expectations and norms. And so those shared conversations really help ease the transition from that, you know, really highly supported early learning environment with small ratios to these classrooms um, where kids are all of a sudden expected to be these independent scientists wandering around doing their learning. So one of the things I think that's great about um, having this uh, community conversation is that you learn what kinds of things the community might need support accessing or, you know, where there might be difficulties. So, for instance, um, a school in Queensland that we worked with um, noticed that there were lots of children starting school with um, oral language delays and they were working really hard to um, try and get support, speech pathology support into the school and they were referring families to the local um, health service for allied health Allied Health Service for um, speech pathology. And when the families were, were getting, you know, essentially they were not getting any support and they didn't know what was going on and they were, they had been struggling with this issue for a while. And so when they came together with their community organisations and this Allied Health Service came to the school as well to have this shared conversation, they learned that actually that the um, criteria for being able to access speech pathology there was that the children were not um, yet enrolled in school. So it was a preschool um, allied health service. So essentially they needed to get children into that service and assessed before they started school. So what that school was able to then do was to move their transition or their um, enrolment process further ahead in the year so that they were already reaching out to families and inviting them to come and have a conversation about children enrolling in their school the following year, earlier in the year, um, and identify early any needs that kids might have so that they could have the children assessed before they started school. Um, 
and to get the speech pathology supports in place within the education system more quickly so that children have a smoother transition into the school process. So that's a really good example of the way that the community conversation fed into the planning processes of the school and supported them to do the things they're already doing in a more effective way um, and in with greater understanding of, I guess, what was and wasn't available in their community and how they could support families to access those services. Yeah, it's a really good opportunity to promote continuity of learning and talking about the learning that's happening across both spaces because I think there's strong links to the all of the developmental, the, the ADC domains and the earliest learning framework outcomes as well as the syllabus outcomes and key learning areas. So it's a great, uh, another, um, I guess, springboard for a conversation to get to know each other's curriculum and pedagogy in each other's spaces, early childhood services and schools. Yeah, and to share that information, like the history of learning that the early childhood services have done for each child. So, you know, they come with this rich understanding of the children that they've developed over the time the child has been in their setting. And um, when they know that a child might really struggle when they start school, they can start really early with those schools to set up um, better processes for sharing information about strategies that support that child and getting services in place early if that child might need additional inclusion supports, for instance, so that the schools are ready when the children come for each child as well as the children being more ready for school. Going back to the some of the things you've all kind of mentioned, partly in terms of looking at the big picture, we all know we're interested in students' social, emotional well-being and all those aspects, but there are other tests and measurements in terms of NAPLAN assessment and other assessments that um, happen later on in the schooling year. So how can AEDC kind of um, support in that, or how does AEDC link to some of these bigger assessments that happen later on along the schooling years? So we've done some research into this at the Telethon Kids Institute. So what we've been able to do is to have a look at the ADC results for that original cohort of kids who um, were involved in the ADC in 2009, and then we've um, linked them up. So we've followed up through the Department for Education's records in terms of NAPLAN, and we've been able to link those records in terms of how kids are doing when they start school, and then had a look at the degree to which that's predictive of how they go in NAPLAN when they're older. And there's actually quite um, quite a strong relationship between child development at five years old and NAPLAN all the way through to grade nine. So what we can see is that kids who have better development on each of those five different aspects of their um, development tend to be uh, less likely to be scoring below the national minimum standard. Um, the strongest relationships, as you might imagine, are with their language and cognitive skills, but we also see significant relationships um, in terms of their social and emotional well-being when they start school and their physical health and well-being. So I think that the implication for schools is that, you know, if we want to think about supporting kids' literacy and numeracy skills, and in particular the NAPLAN results for your school, it's really important to make sure that we get kids um, as prepared as possible and do whatever we can to support their development because the way they come into the school system at five is actually really predictive of how they go in their educational outcomes all the way through to grade nine. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think, you know, I struggle with this a bit because I'm sort of like to think that what we do in schools can make a difference regardless of how the kids arrive. <laughs> um, you know, in an ideal world, wouldn't that be terrific? And we do know there's really strong links between kids' later outcomes and um, maybe it's a bit idealistic, but it would be 
terrific if the way that schools use the data um, to understand, you know, what challenges children might face when they start school in being able to engage in learning, make friends, etc., was shaping our planning in such a way that the things that we now do in schools do make that difference. Um, you know, business as usual, we've seen doesn't make a difference. So those inequalities widen for kids. The start where they start um, has a lot to do with where they finish and it, you know, the gap widens over time or stays pretty much parallel. So the kids tend to not catch up in the way we'd like to think they might through high quality education. So what is it that we could be doing differently? How do we use data to really understand what challenges kids might have? Um, and how do we use these successive collections, NAPLAN, linked, like ADC linked through to NAPLAN, um, linked through to university outcomes or employment outcomes, um, to really understand what things that we do do well shift make that shift i think that's kind of the research i'd really like to see more of over time just really understand what can help break that trajectory and set kids on a different trajectory if they have hadn't haven't had the best start before they come to school yeah, I agree, Yasmin. I think if we can find some really good examples of schools or school schooling systems that have been able to, you know, narrow that gap over time, then I think we can learn from those different examples in terms of what is what is working to support those children and what is working to reduce those gaps over time. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, as Yasmin was saying, in an ideal world, we would like to think that what happens in school kind of um, makes a difference to the child. And um, I remember one of the workshops I presented to schools and one of the schools that was in attendance, um, they had the early, um, the principal and one of the key stage one teachers were there, was there. And while we're talking, that was their first time really like engaging with the AEDC data beyond just the data collection. And I remember they were like, oh no, they, then as at then it was 2018 data collection and we're talking in 2020. And they were thinking, oh, the students in year two actually currently have lots of social emotional issues. And when they were looking at their data, which was from two years before they were like, it was actually tallied in the data that there had been a decline, but the whole time the school didn't really, because they hadn't looked at the data, there was really no specific intervention and it meant they were just struggling with that year group for whatever reason. And it was interesting that the data had shown that before, but then nothing else had happened in a way. And so the school just carried on. But I guess it gave them some insight on what um, they could do or give them the insight to think, oh, yeah, we could actually respond to the data and make a difference um, to the students. Um, something else again around, I think, in with... Um, with the data in early years, I know there's been quite a bit of work around um, the AEDC and prediction around suspension and behavior issues. Um, some frameworks around like the behavior strategy in New South Wales, and also um, the wellbeing framework has been, it, I know the wellbeing team has engaged with the data in such a way that they're trying to understand some of the policies and the implications in that sense. Um, something else I was going to ask, we've just received the AEDC 2021 data publicly released. Um, I, I wondered if um, you're going to say something about some of the outcomes that we've observed already and around the context we're in now. Um, where, where has there been a decline nationally and what, what are your early insights? What we've seen is, I guess, I would say early impacts of um, the kind of disruption to children's lives 
in the year before they started school in 2021. So at that point in time, we'd had a year of this pandemic and um, we know that the sorts of things that happened for families were both negative and positive in lots of ways. So in, in negative ways, we had reduced access to in-person learning at school. We had reduced um, access potentially to um, some of our health services because we had uh, more distancing. We had parents working from home, which could be a good thing as well as a bad thing. So sometimes that was great because parents had more time with their kids. Sometimes it wasn't so great because it meant that they had to juggle more things all at once. Um, but we also had income support for families who might have um, had a lesser income previously. So we we might have expected to see some shifts in children's uh, anxiety levels and those sorts of things from the pandemic, but we haven't really seen that so much. And I think um, we might see that potentially in some younger cohorts that were born during the pandemic or were quite young during the pandemic. But if we think about the children that started school in 2021, they were four. And so they had that year of kindergarten before school um, that was probably most disrupted. And that's where we see the changes in the data the most, I think, is in that language and cognitive skills domain, which are those early literacy and numeracy um, skills. So I think what we're probably seeing in the data is overall quite a protective effect. So we've, I think what we've done has supported children's development more generally across the board, but we have seen some losses in um, those early literacy skills. And I think, you know, I'm quite heartened by that because I think that stuff is easier to catch up. Um, if we had children really anxious when they were starting school and less able to regulate their behaviour and make friends, um, I think that's stuff that's harder for schools to be able to overcome. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, just to comment from a New South Wales um state level report, the patterns that we've seen nationally is also um, quite reflective in New South Wales. However, I guess um, one of the things that um, I'll encourage schools and communities to look at is also to take into account their demographic data in terms of who is in the community and how probably different equity groups have been impacted uh, differently by the experiences that Yasmin has just highlighted during the COVID um, interruptions and some of that is still ongoing for New South Wales. Um, so it's important for schools to actually take into account these extra, um, what I say, occurrences. But I thought if, do, do you have like some other data sets that might help schools to engage with the AEDC and not just looking at the AEDC in isolation, but what are the other relevant data that you feel from your experience, other people have referred to and has provided more context to understand the AEDC outcomes. Also, within the AEDC data set itself, you can look at, um, you know, the rate of preschool attendance, for instance, or engagement with playgroups and um, potentially the early care experiences of children. Um, but, you know, also looking at your community level ABS data. Now, the ABS census is obviously every five years, so we don't necessarily have an always accurate at that point in time picture, but we can see how communities might be changing over time in their makeup. Um, are more young families moving to a community? Um, how many families uh, are experiencing housing stress? Those kinds of things you can get from the ABS census data. There's a, a terrific resource in Australia called the Social Health Atlas, and that's developed by the Public Health and Information Development Unit, or FIDU. And they have maps 
um, similar to the ADC maps, but with access to all kinds of data from health administrative data. So you can look at um, birth outcomes and pregnancy outcomes. You can look at um, information collected from ABS censuses. You can look at information collected from um, various other things like transport and you know, volunteering, all those kinds of things. So you can get a kind of fairly rich picture of the sort of makeup of that community and the kinds of things that maybe that community might be grappling with. Um, it's still only ever an indicator and it's still only of a high level, so it can be used in conversation, but it, I don't think it alongside the AEDC data alone without those conversations that it tells you enough additional stuff, but it's definitely a value add. It sounds to me like it's the sort of um, databases that the data nerds among us would love to jump into and I guess a great springboard if you wanted to get some more information from, you know, looking at your ADC. Yeah, I warn anybody who's not a data nerd when they start looking at it to come prepared for a lot of um, scanning. And if anybody, um, you know, wants support to look at some of that data, there are lots of resources um, on the ADC website that help you kind of navigate what you might look for in some of those places. Yeah, I guess um, that that has actually um, prompted the next question I was going to ask um, you all is, OK, assuming I'm a school principal or I'm at, at a local council and I've downloaded my AEDC report and I've had a look, I've listened to this podcast, and I'm thinking, where can I get help? What next? What do I do? What kind of support is available? Do you want to speak to that? They can call Neary. <laughs> 24 hours, seven days a week. How many yeah. schools are there in New South Wales, Mary? Um, uh, for... <laughs> so I think there's a lot of great resources on the ADC website. We've certainly developed a lot over the years to try and target that question of what next? What can I do next with this data? Um, there's really great examples of what other people have done with the data. So you might want to, if you're more of um, a storyteller or a story reader, you might want to look at some of the community stories or school stories. Um, you could look at some of the resources. There are videos if you don't want to spend a lot of time reading in the first instance that take you through uh, a bit of an explanation of the data and um, how you might start to use it. Uh, and then there's some more, I guess, detailed kind of how to go about planning guidelines and those things are um, they're stepping you through the process of looking at your reports talking you know establishing partnerships in your community to have those conversations thinking about what sorts of things you might look at in your communities um, and then you know what kind of data you can start pulling down into your planning so thinking through how you develop your strategic plans and those sorts of things so there's some really great support resources out there um, Mary, I don't know in New South Wales whether you have some of those workshops that people can attend, but maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, so we do. Um, we definitely are open to people contacting us for targeted support, which we've had that um, over the years. Um, at the moment, because of everything happening, we have some restrictions. However, we do have um, professional learning resources that is provided on demand. So on the AEDC New South Wales um, webpage, within the Department of Education. So all of these links will be provided um, alongside the podcast recording. But yeah, we do have that. Um, also, we have for just, this is just for this year in the coming months, um, a community grants program that we're hoping will support communities to take the time and engage um, 
with their data, but definitely lots of resources on the AEDC New South Wales webpage. And we have the AEDC New South Wales Research Symposium, which we had last year. So a lot of those uh, recordings have been provided as on-demand professional yeah. learning. And we're hoping to have a rerun of that symposium this year again and provide the opportunity for different stakeholders to come along, engage, and kind of unpack some of the data that has just um, been published yeah, so that's um, the support in New also, South Wales. Um, yeah, we also have the um, early learning website, which has a lot of resources for both early childhood services and schools on broader things, such as transition to school and um, all sorts of programming and planning things as well. So there's plenty of resources available for everybody to support them on their journey. Yeah. And if people are really interested, they can come along to an AEDC conference in um, <laughs> the next one being 2024, just doing a little bit of pre-spruiking. Um, but in those conferences, we we learn a lot about what other people are doing with the data and you get to talk to others who are, you know, um, not academics like Tess and I, but on the ground doing the kind of work that you do and, and sharing and learning from each other. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. It's been really good to talk about the AEDC. Uh, the context within which people can engage with ADC data and collaborate and plan for initiatives to improve outcomes for children. Hopefully you've gotten lots out of this, the um, listening to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. And also, if you need more information, you can contact the AEDC New South Wales team using the email address aedc at .au. Or you can also visit the AEDC New South Wales webpage for more information. Thanks. Thanks.